This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child, we really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. Well, hey guys, this is Jen Maestas, and I'm here with two new, very good friends, uh, Ryan and Joanna, and I'm going to give them a second to introduce themselves to you. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, So, my name is Ryan York, and uh, a little bit of background on me. Uh, So, uh, I was born to parents who were musicians. I grew up playing music, and by the time I had graduated college... Uh, I was the executive director of a nonprofit music and arts organization in Tennessee. Uh, and we put on summer camps like Southern Girls Rock and Roll Camp and after school programs uh, and break dancing and screen printing and all rooted in arts. And one of the things that would consistently happen is kids would come into the program saying that they didn't feel very connected to what they were doing in school. Uh, and then they'd get to these after school arts programs and light up and find things they were passionate about. And consistently, kids would come in and say, why isn't school like this? Uh, and I didn't have a good answer for them. I was like, you know, it should. <laughs> and so I, I left the after-school space. I became a teacher. I was a district teacher for many years, uh, went on to start coaching other teachers, and eventually was a principal for several years. During that time, I uh, got hired by a local charter organization in Nashville to design a project-based computer science curriculum. And we built it just for our four schools in Nashville, but then we got some attention nationally and the program started to spread across the country. Uh, I was still a principal and so I wasn't able to actually uh, go travel the country and and help spread this program to other schools and teachers. And so that's when Joanne and I started working together. (laughs) Yeah, and so my name is Joanna Klekowitz and as Ryan said, that's when I came into the picture. Uh, And I originally started off, I was born into a family of Polish immigrants in Chicago, uh, went through the kindergarten through 12th grade system there in the district, uh, and I went off to college to study neuroscience. And as I was studying, I also started tutoring at the local prison in Boston. 
And I would often work with inmates who would then share their personal narratives. And in every single narrative, there was always a pattern of when I had been in school, I hadn't fit. I wasn't seen. I wasn't respected. My identity and passions weren't affirmed. And I thought that was heartbreaking because school should be a place where every single person fits. Uh, And so I pivoted, went into the classroom, became a teacher, then a coach, then I crossed paths with Ryan. uh, And I came on board to figure out how do you codify and share a program that so many schools are already asking for. And so we originally partnered with six schools in Central Texas, so both charters and districts. Uh, we went from six schools to then 30 schools to then serving 10,000 kids across the South. That's awesome. Uh, thank you. And then we also did the largest charter district partnership in the history of Nashville. So actually every single district middle school now runs our project-based computer science program. And in that work, we got to, we had this fascinating opportunity to work with kids in so many different classrooms across different school models in the public sphere. And, uh, we'd walk in and kids were like, we love this program. We actually get to work on things that are real and relevant to our lives. We get to build our own passions. Uh, why do we then go back to classrooms where we're told what to do, how to learn, and when to learn? Yeah. Uh, and after a couple of years of that, Ryan and I stepped back and we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's take away all the assumptions that we as adults have about school and just listen to kids. If you started with a blank sheet of paper, what could school look like? Uh, and that sent us off on a journey where now we're proposing to open the gathering place uh, where our mission is to nurture and celebrate the inner brilliance of every single child. That's and so that's awesome. where we are today. There were like 500 things that you guys said that I wanted to. <laughs> 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 and I feel like we could just dive right in, you know. Yeah, fire um, away. But first, I, I wrote down my son Elijah uh, is such a creative person. And he's very, he's the most musical person in our family. Yeah. And it wasn't until he was in fifth grade. And he had an amazing <clears throat> music teacher that just mm-hmm. really connected with him. That's great. Shout out, Miss Rachel. I love you. (laughs) And she kind of took him in and they started spending a lot of time together. And she started talking to him about things that he was passionate for Mm -hmm. in music. And everything about school changed in that that year. Yeah. He just became so much more invested Mm -hmm. in, in everything. Plus, he had a very real connection to um, that teacher that didn't exist in any other, Mm -hmm. not that he wasn't connected to his other teachers. He had wonderful teachers. All of his teachers have been really good teachers. But for for him, finding someone who could talk to him about music and his creativity and expressing himself and being himself Mm -hmm. just changed. I feel like it was a complete game changer for him. Yeah. He was a very, uh, he seemed to me to be a very reserved little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Speaking really, mind <laughs> and then, like completely, just 100%. Um, and very studious, very quiet. Um, and he went after elementary school to a middle school that had a mariachi program. Yeah. And he just fell, which if you had asked me, if any of my kids would ever be mariachis, <laughs> I would have done what you're doing and just laughed. Right. <laughs> Said, uh, <laughs> yep. probably not. Yeah. But he, I mean, he just evolved. Like he's mm-hmm. just, he's his own being. He loves it. Um, so I do think the arts are just so critical and 
maybe weren't necessarily on my radar all of the time, even mm-hmm. as a teacher or a principal. Mm-hmm. When I was teaching, you know, the state has art curriculum, but it was always a challenge to try to fit in yeah. the art standards when everything else is what's tested, everyone else, everything else is what the school is measured mm-hmm. for and by. Yep. So it was always a real challenge. So I, I, ha- I came into this picture with Ryan and Joanne about almost a year ago, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was substituting at a school as their principal. And the school that I was at was a project-based learning school. Mm-hmm. And it was only in its second year of existence. And so Ryan and Joanna reached out to see if they could come and visit the campus. I happened to be there, so lucky <laughs> me. <laughs> we spent the whole day together. <laughs> it was the, the luckiest thing. Um, so thank you, Miss Beth, for having a baby because it meant I got to be there. Um, so that's how we, we kind of met. And the more that I talked to them, the more I could see um, my own vision for what I've tried to do in schools um, with my own kids in mind because I, I always, as a principal, said if it's if I'm able, I will bring my kids to wherever I am. Mm-hmm. So when my boys were young enough, they always came to school with me, and I felt yeah. like that was for me personally a a big thing um, because if I didn't feel good about having my own kids where I was, then it just probably wasn't a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so when when you you guys started telling me what your vision was. It sounded like what my vision would have been for yeah. my little ones when they were little. Elise is just starting out, so and I haven't quite figured out what her <laughs> passions are, except to challenge everything I say. Yeah. <laughs> she has a knack for doing at yeah. four years old. <laughs> um, so anyway, I I and then I and then I started thinking, why start a school in San Antonio? Why make it a charter? Why not put the, your, the programming you are designing into an ISD? Like I had all mm-hmm. these questions and I felt like every time I asked them, you had such amazing answers. Yeah. And in fact, the answers you gave really redefined my own perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love it if you could explain. <laughs> I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was when Ryan mentioned that We'll tell the story about Google and the extra, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You tell that story better than I do, so go for it. So, uh, it's important to step back and think about uh, education and the different educational institutions within a community as an ecosystem. And different elements in that ecosystem have different roles and responsibilities. Uh, if you actually go back to Texas state law and look at what the purpose of a charter school is, uh, the answer is rooted in the concept of innovation, in the concept of being able to do something new, something different, something that looks different and has potential to solve problems that currently don't have solutions. Uh, and so that is the intention behind charter schools. And this is a really important thing to understand. The larger a system is, the harder it is to innovate in that system. Uh, there's a fantastic book called The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen, who talks about large systems do not support or sustain innovation. And this is why so many companies create separate companies that are their research and development, that are their centers for innovation. So Google has Google X. 
Uh, Amazon has Lab 126. Facebook has Building 8. These are all these separate businesses because those companies know that they're large and their systems are not designed to sustain or support innovation anymore. They need new, smaller entities to develop and sustain innovation. And that's needed in education. And that's the role charters were designed to fill. You have very large districts uh, that their focus is on sustaining this large operation. And it's difficult for pockets of innovation to really develop and nurture to a level in which it can be implemented across a wider scale. Uh, and so our hope and the reason that we decided to open the gathering place as a charter school uh, is because we want to be able to utilize the smaller institution of a single school, which is what we're proposing, a single K-12 school. Uh, we're hoping to utilize that smaller scale to be able to iterate and prototype and identify ways to solve problems faster that can then be shared with those larger institutions so that mm -hmm. all kids in San Antonio benefit. So I... I love that idea, right? Because it's not one that I've ever really considered before. Mm -hmm. I've never heard it framed out in that way or that fashion. And I've not done the research on what the state laws or the state intentions have been mm -hmm. for charter schools. So I appreciate that explanation because I do feel like there is a spirit of um, competition that isn't necessarily in the vein of making everybody better, right. which I also believe that yeah. if, if competition doesn't exist, then everyone sort of becomes stagnant. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to create some <clears throat> some sort of systems that where iron sharpens iron, right? Mm -hmm. Where you, everybody's getting better together. But I, I don't I don't frequently hear that tone in the conversations that people yeah. have um, about charter schools. So you know, I think the perspective you're giving is one that is fresh yeah. and exciting and it kind of helps me understand um, what my role might be in charter school conversations mm -hmm. where before I felt very much that charters would even steal students from ISDs which is I think a very common mm -hmm. uh, conversation <laughs> right like, all our, there's, there's an exodus from public schools to charters mm -hmm. um, and that that is a very intentional strategy that charter schools have mm -hmm. when they are marketing to students to say we off we are better than your alternative neighborhood school mm -hmm. um, but I think that your approach certainly sounds very different yeah from that um, and I love I love that because I think you're right it is so hard to implement uh, systemic changes in mm -hmm. a system that is massive. You, yeah. you have mm -hmm. so many layers of approval. And you've seen that. I mean, you've I worked in that system that. And, and, and butted up against that. Yeah. So, you know, if there were things, you both have worked in ISDs. You've both been teachers, administrators. So what are some of the things that you think are going to be easier because you're not in a large system? Yes, I think one of the big ones is to think about how quickly you can respond to feedback, specifically from the community. So I think very often, uh, as just an entire educational system in this country, there's been a rise in popularity of the phrase student-centered. Uh, and what that ends up doing is it changes how instructional activities are approached in the classroom, but actually centering around your local community, your neighborhood, 
uh, gets tougher when you're in a really big system. And so say specifically an example of this, in our work with The Gathering Place, we've been doing co-design workshops with students in San Antonio. So just sitting down, hearing from kids, what do they love about school? What do they wish could exist in their schools? And then building that into the actual model. Uh, and a really good example of this is we did a high school co-design workshop. Uh, we had high school students from a wide range of schools, charters, districts, military schools, homeschooling, Montessori, so forth. Uh, and we had a lot of kids that are currently in schools where uh, school safety is definitely like topic that a lot of people are thinking about. And they're in schools where clear backpacks are required. And one of the first things that kids told us in our session was, y'all, these clear backpacks don't actually make a school safer. Schools should be places where there's access to mental health supports, where everybody feels like they belong. Uh, and then they just like disassemble, uh, just like ideas that we as adults don't always think about. So they're like, these clear backpacks are supposed to be safer, but we can bring in athletic bags and nobody checks. Mm -hmm. We can bring in lunch boxes, nobody checks. We can bring in musical instruments, nobody checks. And so if this is about transparency, then we're actually not doing this. So we just think this makes adults feel better. <laughs> Uh, as opposed to actually make the school safer. Um, kids. Right? And I mean, you listen to kids, they will tell you everything right away, uh, just super honestly. And so we think that one of the biggest things with the gathering place is like, we get to have those conversations. And because we're proposing to be a small system, uh, we get to just respond to that immediately. We don't have to hit those like layers of approval, of approval, of approval, but this person said this, but politically this, mm -hmm. we just get to respond to kids mm -hmm. uh, and families and more specifically, they get to design their own school. And we think that's where so much of the heart of innovation is. That is awesome. I never thought also, <clears throat> sorry, I, if you are anywhere near San Antonio, Texas, <laughs> you have cedar fever just like I do. Mm -hmm. Don't yeah. lie about it. Don't try to hide it. It is what it is. <laughs> and <laughs> so if I clear my throat a thousand times. I'll be right there with you. <laughs> thank you. Allergies are not a joke in Texas. Um, so, you know, I, I would not have thought through that scenario the way the kids did and it just kind of makes me sit back and chuckle and think of isn't it interesting and I've talked to other people too who have said the same thing like are we really listening to what kids are saying mm -hmm. is is that a part of our internal dialogue all the time um, because kids are so smart mm -hmm. they're yep. so with it they get it and they see right through the everything. Stuff. They see <laughs> yeah. right through everything. Mm -hmm. um, and they're very, they're very, I feel like they're very logical. Mm -hmm. you know, or, and, or maybe it's just that they're very literal. Mm -hmm. Sometimes where you, you think that you are going to um, be impactful or influential and they are like, you're, what you're saying has no impact or influence over what someone who is really intentional about bringing a gun to school mm -hmm. is going to bring a gun to school. And they, they haven't uh, been maladapted to a point of accepting things are the way they are just because that's the way they are. Right. They're able to look at situations for what they really are and oftentimes have a lot more creativity in thinking about ways to respond because they're not mm -hmm. inhibited with this idea of, well, we have to do it this way because this person said this and this is how it is because that's how it's always been. Uh, there's a, a, a really great, uh, well-known sort of study from, from over the past couple of decades looking at Toyota, the car manufacturer. 
Uh, and Toyota was a, a really revolutionary company uh, in that they took a lot of practices uh, and sort of flipped hierarchy and leadership on its head. Uh, and instead of this idea that the CEO has the most power and then power sort of trickles down throughout the hierarchy, uh, instead they flipped that and they said the people closest to the problem, the people closest to the work, the real work, which in our line mm -hmm. of work is kids, should have the most power. Uh, and so another aspect of innovation within, you know, that's possible in a charter school and will be there in our school is the importance of teachers and students holding the most power within the school mm -hmm. and there being the freedom to trust teachers to do the work that they know how to do best and to be able to respond to the circumstances and problems that they're seeing. Uh, and for kids to be able to also have that level of power within a school, which is something that's very difficult to structure inside of an existing hierarchical district or larger organization. And I think to add to that, too, uh, and this is something that will often get discussed, is people will bring up the spaghetti tower challenge, uh, where you get <laughs> X amount of... Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Or you get something like 20 pieces of uncooked spaghetti, one marshmallow, and then like 10 inches of tape. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're in groups. And the whole purpose is to build the tallest tower that you can without breaking the spaghetti in a limited amount of time. Mm -hmm. uh, and they've run so many different iterations of this study. And the best summary of this is when they compare kindergartners to graduates with MBA degrees. Mm -hmm. And every single time, kindergartners substantially outperform the MBA students. Yep. Uh, and they've also repeated this with CEOs of major companies. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because what they've observed is that as soon as you get all the adults in the room, everybody's talking theory and, but hey, let's do this. And butting heads and butting arguing, heads, power struggles. Uh -huh. So many power struggles. You run that... out of time, done nothing. <laughs> yep. And then at the end of their like 20 minute mark, that's the first time they actually try to put the marshmallow on top of the spaghetti and it breaks because they never tested anything. Yeah. Versus kindergartners, as soon as the study begins, it's immediately like, you're testing, you're trying, you're trying something out. All the questions are like, why not? Or they mm -hmm. just immediately go try it as uh -huh. opposed to like operating in this theoretical world. Yeah. Uh, and that to us is a lot of what charter schools are. You get to go create things with students immediately, get immediate feedback and respond mm -hmm. as opposed to just imagine like how will things theoretically work? Uh, and then you never actually get to implement a lot of those ideas. Mm -hmm. Cool. I don't know that I've ever heard that study, but now I'm going to go look it up. Because, yeah. Yeah. And then I'm going to do it with my team and then I'm going to let Elise, my daughter, do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun. You should have yeah. Elise do it with she, your team. I, yeah. <laughs> I just want to see. She would probably rock that. Yeah. Uh, the rest of us would waste a bunch of time. Um, and I think that that is probably something that I saw play out in different variations is not intentionally, not mm -hmm. on purpose, mm -hmm. but we waste a lot of time. Um, I had a boss that used to tell me, Jennifer, let's not admire the problem. Mm -hmm. You're you're just admiring it. Like, that's a hell of a problem. Look how big that problem is. It's a mm -hmm. great problem. How are we ever going to solve this problem? <laughs> yeah. You know, and we talk about it and we strategize about whose idea is the best idea for solving that problem. And we could, in a small group, talk about the problem and come up with a strategy and then have to go report to other small groups that weren't necessarily in the room and let them strategize and come up with their own mm -hmm. <laughs> ideas of what would make our problem-solving strategy even stronger and then come back to the smaller leadership team and debrief with each other. And by the time you know it, a whole semester has mm -hmm. gone by and you haven't actually right. touched mm -hmm. the problem. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows the problem and it can see the problem. 
and has thoughts about the problem, but you've not actually done a whole lot Mm -hmm. to attack the problem. You've just admired it for a good long semester. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that is another uh, perception that I didn't necessarily think through when I was thinking of charter and public schools and and why we would need to have both. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts about or what, I mean, you are essentially teaching me (laughs) <laughs> right. So in those com- in those conversations that we have with other people who might be a little bit more reluctant to latch on to the idea of why we need, mm-hmm. not want, need right. charter schools in the education landscape of San Antonio. What are some what are some other things you've encountered in your conversations? Like what are some things people have brought up or, or pushed back on or mm-hmm. challenged you with? And, and how did you work through those? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think one piece in particular is, uh, first of all, it's important and sometimes a misconception, charter schools are public schools. And so that means charter schools are run by a nonprofit organization. They receive state and federal funding like a district school. Uh, and they have many of the same accountability expectations and standards as any other public school, uh, which includes transparency and finance and also includes enrollment. Um, it's also important to recognize that just because that's the original intent of charter schools and just because that's how we're approaching and utilizing this vehicle to spur innovation doesn't mean that all charter schools operate that way. Uh, and we have to be really careful using such broad labels like a charter school because mm-hmm. there's many different operators out there. Uh, and each operator has their own interpretation of what it means to be a charter school and their own reason for being one and their own practices for how they operate. Uh, and I, one of the things I always talk to families about and talk to people about, especially when there's like some question or hesitation about charter schools is instead of getting so fixated on those labels, really take time and and have a conversation about what is important for you in education, what matters, and then go look at different schools and operators and try and find people that align with those beliefs. Mm -hmm. Uh, San Antonio has some very different charter schools out there. Uh, and if you look at one in particular operator and look at how they do it, you can't then assume that that's therefore how every charter school is going to operate. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to learn about the different operators out there. There's some charter schools, uh, you know, Anne Frank is an example of a charter school in San Antonio that a lot of people don't know about. Uh, they're a, a small charter. They're a, a K-12. They're doing amazing work. If you haven't seen it, strongly encourage you to. Uh, they are doing some incredibly innovative work that's making a huge impact on their kids. Uh, and they are following along with a lot of those same reasons we described. Uh, there's charters up in Austin, like Austin Discovery School and NIOS, which stands for Not Your Ordinary School, that are also independently run small schools that then become incredibly innovative because they're able to stay so nimble. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the umbrella charter has a lot of different people underneath that and a lot of different operators, and it's important to understand and look at those differences. Definitely. And then with that, I think it's also an interesting nuance to think about uh, what choices charters have made and how they fit into the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So as Ryan had mentioned earlier, the original intent behind charter schools in Texas was also <clears throat> to create different and innovative learning methods. Uh, and so you'll see some charter operators really focused on being small and nimble and innovative and sharing out those ideas, similar to the work we had done in Nashville, where Mm -hmm. we shared out our work with primarily district schools Mm -hmm. around the South. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, 
And then some charter schools have also taken the choice of actually growing and being big systems, potentially sometimes even bigger than local ISDs. Mm -hmm. And like those are really rich conversations to have versus just like an all or nothing charters or district. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, Sorry, I was drinking my wine and you finished your sentence and then I got stuck. So, you know, I was, while you were talking, um, I thought, man, this is a really interesting conversation. And Mm -hmm. I think that some of the people I know personally, me, myself included, Mm -hmm. had no idea the lengths that you have to go through to become (laughs) a public (laughs) charter school. Yeah. Um, And how many similarities there really are between, I mean, you are essentially your own ISD. Mm -hmm. So you will have a superintendent, Mm -hmm. you will have principals, you will have teachers. I mean, there is some hierarchy there Mm -hmm. that is very similar to what an ISD has. And everything that an ISD that's staffed with 6,000 employees all of that work still has to be done right. by the two of you. <laughs> yes. So, how are you doing that? And an uh, amazing future team, but right now right. it is the two of us. And it's an amazing of team of board members. Yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe a, a part of answering that is to a question you asked earlier that we didn't get a chance to ask, which is uh, how we ended up in San Antonio, which yeah. I think is a, a really mm-hmm. good story to tell. Uh, so, uh, like we said at the beginning, we were both working in Nashville. I was a principal in Nashville. Um, Nashville's gentrification is really bad right now. And unlike Texas in Tennessee, if you move outside of the district limits, you no longer can go to school in that district period, regardless of transportation or anything else. And so when I was principal, I was principal of a school on the north side of Nashville. Mm -hmm. We were close to city limits. A family would move a mile out because their property tax shoots up and now they legally have to unenroll. And so even though Nashville's growing, the number of kids in its school system is declining. Mm-hmm. And so Nashville's not adding new schools. They're closing schools down every year. And so when we decided we wanted to open up our own school, we, we had talked to so many teachers and, and seen so many opportunities for a system that, like we said, can really sustain the type of innovation that we're building into our model. We weren't able to open in Nashville because of the, the city's student mm-hmm. population. And so we made a list of, of 13 different cities that we felt like uh, you know, just from a, a broad level, had opportunity for additional charter schools and, and had demand from families. Uh, and we started, uh, I, I went out to California for a year <laughs> and coached a group of principals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Joanna helped open up a, a brand new school uh, on the East Coast. Uh, and then every other week, we would fly to a new city. And uh, how so- many, How many <clears throat> places did you visit? Uh, I, mean, I think we visited, we got about halfway, we through, got about the halfway through the list, <laughs> yeah. so six or seven, uh, and then we got to San Antonio, uh-huh. uh, and it was absolutely different from the moment that we got here. Uh, we started talking with other school leaders, with teachers, with parents, with kids right out the gate. Uh, we ended up talking with over 300 different people, mm-hmm. and uh, there was such a resounding, first of all, there was such a resounding love for the city. It was so warming for us. It was this like protectiveness, but not in an exclusionary way, mm-hmm. but in a, a value way that just wasn't there in other cities. It, yeah. It's so palpable when you get to see different cities back to back. And there was also such a deep love for the arts. Yeah. And a common theme was there's so much passion for the arts here, and yet our schools don't have a consistently strong set of opportunities for kids in the arts. There's some amazing programs after school, like CC and the Guadalupe Center, but in terms of school arts programming, there wasn't a K-8 program where kids could have art every day. 
Right. Uh, and that was surprising to us. And it was something that families were wanting and, and hopeful for. Uh, we put on a, a summer camp to prototype <laughs> our school model this past summer. Uh, and we ended up with 125 families on the wait list. And the camp filled up in the first 10 hours. There, awesome. there was so mm-hmm. much demand for uh, schools that were approaching things a little bit differently. Uh, and so, you know, that was sort of what, what got us here. We actually ended up throwing the rest of the list away <laughs> after we left San Antonio because it was so clear this is just going to be a beautiful place. It's also worth noting that there's 18,000 kids on charter school wait list right now. Um, you had talked about the, the conversation about stealing kids. Right. Uh, it's, it's really important to note that nobody's stealing kids. Uh, the term itself uh, is, is meant to invoke fear and cover up the nuance of the actual conversation. Um, and frankly, I believe it's belittling to parents. Parents are in, paying attention to their kids right. and their needs and how well schools are responding to those. And some are very happy, and that's great. There's amazing work happening in districts across All the whole city. The mm-hmm. yeah. There's also instances where families are not happy and where families are looking for other options. And even if you got rid of every single charter school, you'd still have families moving between different districts. And even if you merged all of those districts, you'd still have families leaving the private school. The only thing that charter schools do is they democratize the ability to make a choice for your own education, regardless of your family income. Uh, and that's a right. And it's important for that role to be filled. And one of the really interesting things, the conversation that we don't hear that often is actually about school funding in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so say, for example, for Texas specifically, if you adjust for inflation, if you adjust for population growth, Texas spent about 20% less per student in 2017 than it did in 2008. And so very often we are these discussions about resources in schools, mm-hmm. funding in schools. That's where the conversation should begin. And a lot of where we think a lot of the opportunity is, is how do you bring charters and districts together to work for more state funding. Mm-hmm. We are still at a level at which funding has never been made up for the cuts that we saw after the recession, Absolutely. and it's more yep. than a decade later. Yes, uh, And so that's where there's just a lot of really fascinating opportunity. While other states that had to make cuts have made it up mm-hmm. now. That's why Texas right. is now one of the bottom 10 states in the entire country in terms of funding. Mm-hmm. And our kids deserve better than that. And instead of arguing over who got $10 more per kid or whatever that conversation is, which is actually a really complex conversation, right. there's no clear answer there. Uh, we need to be working together to make sure that we're getting more resources for our kids across the entire state. Mm-hmm. And I think that the conversation it can be had so civilly. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. You know, if we just are willing to open a bottle of wine and sit down <laughs> and say, On miseducation. Tell me why you think this is a good idea. Yeah. Like, just show me. Because I'm not unwilling to learn. Yeah. And most people aren't. Most people are not unwilling to learn. I think at the heart of every educator is a lifelong learner. And yep. we, every, I've never met a teacher that has come to school and said, today I'm just going <clears> to. <throat> F it all up for that kid. You know? right. Like, right. Nobody ever comes to school and thinks like I'm I really don't want my kids to be that successful. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants their kids to succeed and flourish and thrive. Um we've un- unfortunately built some very big strongholds against that right um mm-hmm. because we we haven't we haven't evolved as fast as everything else in the world you know we we are not keeping up with the times um and then i mean we just wear our hearts on our sleeves too and we want to believe that the work we're doing is impactful and is 
the best thing for the students that are standing right in front of us. Mm -hmm. And so I understand that too. Like I want to believe that I made the right decision in where I'm going to go teach and in who I'm going to teach and how I'm going to do it. So I get that it is such a heated emotional conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just love that you guys are here and that you guys (laughs) are not um, trying to convince anybody to believe anything except that you should have a choice in where you get to send your kid like that's the bottom line because you know parents know their students very well and students know themselves and what they are um, able to do and want to do and passionate Mm -hmm. for Um, and so we should have them in the conversation you know you should you should be at I get to decide where I get to go to work every day. Right. And I don't have to stay there if I absolutely hate it. Right. I can't I have that agency to say, you know, this isn't a good fit for me. Right. I, I it just isn't I'm not a salesperson. I think I, Carlos and I just had this conversation at lunch today. <laughs> He's like, you could start a business. I'm like, not a uh, no way. There's no way. You know? yeah. My younger sister, she's been a salesperson her whole life and she's great at it. You know, she worked in retail at the mall when we were in high school and she, she fell in love with, she's a, she is a conversationalist, so she could come to you having never laid eyes on you before and say, like, oh, you know, what are you looking for today? I, that is not in me. <laughs> right. Like it's, it's not in me. So I, I think that we have a whole generation of just little people. Mm-hmm. And they know what's in them and what's not. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you know that when you're seven, you know, my daughter knows what she wants to do and she's four. Mm-hmm. Um, and she knows what she's not about. Like she's just, she's not about that. I'm not, Elijah knew he was not about sports. Like mm-hmm. We tried, you know, he played basketball. He He's a swimmer now. And I think that that is his other uh, jam right now. But yeah. my son Jonathan, he know he knew from like the second he stepped foot on the baseball field, <laughs> I am about sports. Yeah. Like, and that honestly is what's driving his decision mm-hmm. about where to attend high school. Yeah. Because it is his passion, it's what he's been working on his entire little life. Yeah. It, it is what he's good at. It's what he practices the most at he he does it on his own mm-hmm. like i don't ever have to ask him to go <laughs> practice baseball right you know like i don't ever have to suggest that maybe we should go to dbat like he's <laughs> he he's asking me like yeah. can you take me will you be there you know can we do this extra clinic is it okay if i sign up for and he's on youtube and he's watching and he's reading statistics he knows baseball players which just he knows what he's about and so that's driving his decision on where to go to high school. Yeah. And so I think that is something we should be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And if opportunities, if there's an opportunity gap somewhere, we should fill it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of where, where you guys are. Mm-hmm. You see an opportunity gap that exists. Mm-hmm. There's not a pre-K, is it K, K, yeah. K-12 arts school. Right. Um, so why would we not fill that gap? Right. And uh, we've heard from so many families and kids, you know, our, our model has three major components. So uh, the arts is one of those three major components. Uh, we also have a strong social emotional learning program, which means you're really paying attention 
uh, to kids' emotions, to how kids are interacting socially, and to supporting the development of the skills needed to be able to collaborate, to be able to communicate effectively across differences. You were talking about how the conversation gets so heated sometimes that people never actually talk to each other. They just talk <laughs> past each other. Those are skills that, as you're describing, are hard. And yeah. those are things that are really important to develop in kids uh, and to create the space for them. And the third major component is student-driven projects. Uh, instead of saying, here's your lesson, you know, instead of having all teachers teach the same lesson or the same series of lessons or standards, instead you're starting with the teacher and the student's passions and interests and you're developing learning through those. Uh, and so instead of siloing kids out in math and in science and in English for 45 minutes and 45 minutes and now you switch and now you switch again and now you switch again, instead we're looking at real problems and we're getting people engaged in those problems and finding what's interesting in those problems and then learning through them. So um, for example... Yeah. Tell us about your summer camp. Like, what was that? Because <laughs> yeah. that's, kind of, that's kind of the pilot. It was for... an example of what a week of learning <laughs> yeah. at the Gathering Place would be like. Yes. Yeah. So the summer camp was called the Great Food Truck Summer Camp. And so students came in, they formed their own groups, and then over the course of the week created their own food truck business. And so this involved everything from uh, learning how to cook, including making homemade tortillas. <laughs> uh, by the end of the week, they made over 600 tacos yeah. <laughs> and then served them. Yep. <laughs> uh, they made their own business logos and then they screen printed them onto T-shirts. They built a website. They filmed and published a commercial. Uh, they also began the week by talking to a food truck owner in San Antonio about what it means to actually be a small business owner. Mm -hmm. Then by Thursday, they pitched their businesses, including their business plan to three food truck owners for feedback. <laughs> uh, and then on Friday, it culminated in a community showcase where over a hundred guests came and they were again, pitching their businesses, actually serving their food mm -hmm. and getting feedback from the community. Uh, and then over the course of the week, what actually happened behind the scenes is they covered over 30 different TEKS standards. So the state uh, standards for uh, in Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, to give an example of this, so say, f for example, uh, on one of the days they learned how to prototype their recipe. And so they only needed to make it work on one taco. But by the end of the week, they needed it to work on 100 tacos. <laughs> and so all of Friday morning was how in the world do you convert the recipe that you created on Tuesday and then scale it to 100? And then you're like furiously working through your math. We're supporting fractions. We're supporting students as they need it. The line is forming outside to come try your food when <laughs> yeah. the pressure's on. <laughs> uh, kids are so invested in this. They're like, we want to show off our work, but we can't get our salsa recipe to work or guacamole. And then they're actually trying it, and then their mixtures are not coming together, so they got to throw it out and start all over again. But that to us is authentic assessment. We so often think about assessments as a state test at the end of the year or mm -hmm. as a worksheet here or there or a quiz on Friday. Uh, and that's an assessment for oftentimes the adults instead of, again, thinking about what is an authentic assessment for students? Yeah. Getting to show off your work that you are proud of to so many different people and to get feedback live in the moment, that mattered to our kids. Mm -hmm. And so just the sheer amount of learning that we saw that entire week is what it's going to feel like at the gathering place. And these were kids ages 9 to 12. These, yep. these were... <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, this is... <clears throat> we did not know each other. And the summer camp was a free camp. So we yeah. had kids from all over the city yeah. participating. Yeah. Yeah, and they loved it, I bet. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and we heard so much from, from parents. Uh, one of the things that we didn't necessarily expect that we heard from families that stood out so much was the word confidence kept coming up. Mm -hmm. You kept hearing parents by the end of the week say, like, my child seems so much more confident 
like the, they are really proud of the work that they've done this week and having done work that they're so proud of then makes them proud in themselves, mm -hmm. which gives them confidence on the next thing they go after. Mm -hmm. uh, and once again, that's incredibly important for kids to experience. It shouldn't just be something that they experience once during a summer camp. Uh, and it makes such a huge impact. And that's the, the value of authentic assessment through projects. So in, so what I'm hearing, okay, couple of things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about this. So you, you are still held to the same accountability of teaching yep. the Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills. Exactly. Right? And you are still held to the same accountability system of taking the end of the year STAR exams. Yep. And, but what happens between, in between yep. day one and that STAR exam <laughs> is that, is that project-based learning that you just described. Exactly. So how do you measure progress <laughs> for how close, like how, how do you know if your students are going to be okay in, on that state exam. Like, talk to me a little bit about, talk me through that. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's there's two parts to that answer. The first of which is an example of something that already exists. Uh, one of the best project-based schools in the country is called High Tech High. And they're based out of San Diego. Uh, there's an amazing documentary about them called Most Likely to Succeed that you can get on Google Play. Um, they have been doing project-based learning for over 20 years. Uh, and project-based learning is a phrase that gets used a lot and it means different things. Uh, we talk about like student-driven problems and student-driven projects uh, where the learning is what happens through real work. Uh, it's not just something that happens like at the end of a unit, like a diorama or something like mm -hmm. that. Uh, so High Tech High is doing real projects and students learn through those real projects. Um, and they don't do all of the test prep and all of the things that, that sometimes get associated with schools now. Uh, and their students consistently are some of the top performing students, even though they're learning through assessments. Because while a student that takes a quiz on a, a you know, converting fractions worksheet might get a good grade, they might not. There's a pretty good chance. Oftentimes they won't remember it a month later, <laughs> right? Like the, uh, the learning was actually not learning. It was remembering. And those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. Learning involves deep connections to existing knowledge through real experience. Uh, and so the kids that, that we described in the summer camp, uh, you know, research shows and, and we saw through our kids as well, that type of learning is going to last much longer and it's going to give them a foundation for new concepts to build upon, which is so critical. Uh, so the first part is there, there's existing schools doing similar project-based models that Definitely. do well. And so we know that there's a foundation in the approach. Um, but secondly, there's still work that's happening throughout those projects that's being measured. Uh, and so either through teachers observing and keeping records or through embedded assessment throughout the project, uh, if we were in school, maybe students were doing some of those conversions on paper before going and launching it into the work. Uh, and that data is getting recorded and captured and it's aligned to those standards. So the teacher actually has information. We're, we're likely going to be using a program called Project Foundry that allows teachers to keep up with student mastery of standards while working on projects. Yeah. Uh, we also in our model have a lead teacher and an assistant teacher in every classroom in the elementary school. And so there's a lot of observational data being collected. Even if the student is working hard getting that taco sure. recipe right, there's someone that knows some of the skills that need to be happening here that's paying attention to which kids are demonstrating that and which kids aren't and maybe the kids that aren't are going to get pulled and they're going to do a little extra activity that's going to help make sure that those skills do get developed right so we are still paying attention uh we believe the learning is much deeper uh and we have the tools to make sure that it stays aligned to what the state is hopeful to see it be aligned to so my son one of my um jonathan my middle mm -hmm. child he um has been at a project-based learning school for three years mm. in saisd san antonio isd yeah and i will tell you that it taught <clears throat> 
me a lot about my preconceived notions of what progress should look like. Yeah. Um, and it sort of challenged my theories, right? Because they kept, he, he would come and tell me, you know, we have to design a business. Okay. That's good. <laughs> 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 so he would work through this entire process. And then when it came time for report cards, what I would get was not numerical grades. Right. It was on a rating scale. Mm-hmm. And the rating scale sounded something like, he is still a novice at this. Um, he is, I don't even remember what the rating scales right. were. But the highest one was like, he's an expert. Yeah. So you went from novice to expert. <clears throat> and... Yeah, and that was hard for me because mm-hmm. I wanted to know: Are you passing your right. class? <laughs> what's, what's the like, letter? Are you going to make it to? Are you on the <laughs> honor roll? Right. <laughs> like, that was a real big thing for me to mm-hmm. my hang up. He was fine with it. Yeah, like he, it didn't matter to him one way or the other. He knew because he was having the conversations with his teachers. Mm-hmm. He knew what he could do and what he still was learning, and he was fine with it being open-ended like that. Mm-hmm. It was me. Like yeah. I had the hang up of, I want to know, mm-hmm. are you making an A? How do you compare to everyone else in your classroom? And how do I know if you, are you earning the credit for this course right. so that you are going, <laughs> are you to, going advance to be able to, to the next, Are you going to be able to graduate? <laughs> you know? yeah. It was my, those were my hangups. Um, the other thing that, I, another hangup I had was that he didn't ever, nothing was ever actually finished mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. nothing's ever done right you always can go back and like add life. another <laughs> i know it was so weird yeah he could he you know they would say like this is due on such and such date mm-hmm. the due date could come and go and you turned in what you <clears throat> had accomplished thus far yep and you were rated based on your evidence mm-hmm. are you an expert or are you a novice mm-hmm. and if you were a novice or anything less than an expert, you always had the opportunity to just keep working on that. Yeah. Just just keep working on it, which drove me insane. <laughs> you guys, I was so annoyed. Yeah. Like, I just... It's not what we're used to. It's not it's how we not, had school. And it's not what I experienced in school. Mm-hmm. So how I measured success for me did not look like that. Right. My, I wanted mm-hmm. to know, am I in the top 10 of my class? You know, am I in the honors society did i accomplish all the goals that i set out to accomplish um and then and i count it as successful if i meet a deadline right like a hard deadline so talk to me a little bit about <laughs> what you think about <laughs> my hang-ups <laughs> so i want to shout out one of the words that you used earlier which was process so much of project-based learning or learning through the arts is actually about the process I think very often in education, I know definitely for me when I started off as a teacher, uh, it was always about those like mini moments or like those mini products. It was this worksheet. It was this quiz. It was this test. Uh, but first of all, it's not how the real world works. And second of all, it's <laughs> not no, how only school works that way. <laughs> right. I mean, only school. Only school. Right? <laughs> so you would think that me being educated and being an educator would recognize that the mm-hmm. only time in your life. That things will ever be that way mm-hmm. is when you are in school. 
Mm-hmm. But I didn't. It's mm-hmm. still, sometimes I still get lost in that. Sorry yeah. for interrupting you. Oh, no worries. And um, and so, so much of it is, and learning doesn't work that way either, right? Like learning is a process. If you master this one objective by the end of your 45-minute class, that does not mean one that you actually understand it long-term. doesn't mean you're actually going to remember it tomorrow. And even most importantly, how that snippet of information integrates into your life, your world, and all of your knowledge doesn't happen in that moment. right? Uh, and so when we think about uh, learning opportunities for students that students are creating, the curriculum is the real world. There's no way you can go wrong with that right. <laughs> when your questions that you're asking are real questions. The solutions that you're proposing are real solutions. You're proposing them to real people. Uh, and that's where we think so much of the magic lies. Yeah, there's there's plenty of real problems to work on. There's no need to make new ones up just for the sake of like school. <laughs> so back to our school co-design workshops. Uh, one of the college students was talking about how they really liked their math teacher in high school and how she had done an incredible job of really trying to make math relevant. Mm-hmm. And then she was like... And this, her student, now a college student, was telling us, like, but it was actually never relevant. Yeah. Like, nobody's going to throw a watermelon at this and this degree at your head at this and this speed. And, guys, nobody has 27 cantaloupes. Right. <laughs> and so we think that's where a lot of, like, educators are really trying their absolute hardest to make things relevant. But when you're inside of a paradigm where the box is create a problem that can be solved within the next 10 minutes as opposed mm-hmm. to have a real problem that might take months, months. to solve. Yeah. Maybe you as a student actually will take years to get to that. And as to a teacher, you may not know how to solve yeah, it Exactly. Either. Exactly. <laughs> right. And you know what I've learned now, this is the third year that he's been in, my son's been in the project-based school, is that he actually developed way better skills than I would have ever anticipated because mm-hmm. he's been allowed to just grapple yeah. and struggle mm-hmm. endlessly yeah and it's actually he's not um he's not always the kid that wants to hurry up and get it done like right. he, <laughs> he, or do it well he's right. like ah, you know i gotta go play baseball i'll get to it when i get to it that, you know he's just not he's brilliant he's so mm-hmm. so smart um and what i've seen in him is that he actually is his motivation, it, it's like he's realized, if I don't do this well right now, I'm not off the hook. Mm-hmm. Like, then I'm going to just right. drag this out forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because everyone is totally okay with me saying, well, here's where I'm at. And then them saying, okay, well, Great. when it's when you've progressed a little further, yeah, bring it back. And let's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, no, he instead of just saying, well, time is up. You now have a 57 and we're moving on. Right. No, exactly. It, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. <laughs> it doesn't, like it, he, it is, he could take years if he want. You know right. what I'm saying? And so now he's like, well, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to do a good job of it because then I'm really am. I feel like I'm yeah. done at that point. And you know, hopefully he, he feels he, the connection to the work where oh, there's totally. like a reason to do it too. <laughs> it's awesome. You know, we don't talk through all of the things that he does in his day, but they will pop up other places. So mm-hmm. we were actually having dinner with some friends of ours and their daughter is, um, she goes to a private school. And so they are talking about some of the things that they weren't necessarily happy about um, in terms of some stuff that just like general stuff, not academics or anything like that. They're just talking 
talking. They're talking about her school. Yeah. Not that it's private, nothing like that. So they're, they're talking. Um, the adults are talking. We have three teenagers amongst us. And so they're just kind of listening. And then Jonathan, he just interjects, you know, it's interesting to me that San Antonio is just such an economically segregated city. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, and so he just launches into this conversation about um, some of the opportunities that people have depending on where they live and yeah. what they've been able to experience and how those opportunities and experiences are really what are driving their conversations with other people. And I am sitting there like, whoa, I hope yeah. they think I taught him. <laughs> I hope they think that's good parenting because I have no idea where you just I'm here, right here. <laughs> it wasn't me. Yeah. He, those are, those are, um, so later I asked him, I yeah. said, Jonathan, where did, you know, and he had done a project where uh, some of the students at the school had gone to visit I'm going to get it wrong. Um, Heifer International. Have you heard? Of it? And it's an experience um, in like a third world kind of experience. Oh, I know. Yeah. Learning mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so they just really unpacked a lot of what it must be like. Mm-hmm. And are there places like that in the United States? And if there are, why is that? Right. And are there places like that in San Antonio? Um, and so he just had done all this thinking that led him to just be ready to interject in this conversation. Yeah. That blew my mind. That's great. Yeah. It was really kind of cool. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things to also explore in education is actually trusting children to have thoughts. And I know that seems like such a simple sentence, but so often you'll hear phrases like, let's fill students' minds with knowledge. Uh, Or you'll hear phrases in society like, oh, but that's really childish. Um, And very often that's just like talking down to kids Mm -hmm. and talking down to their inherent brilliance and their inherent power. And so, so often in school, uh, and a lot of our approach in the gathering place is trust kids, mm-hmm. trust them to have opinions, trust them to have experiences, uh, and let them build and explore and figure those out, uh, and then connect them in ways, because you will be amazed at the journeys that students get to take. Mm-hmm. So say, for example, in a lot of our work, Ryan and I have been traveling around the country just getting to visit schools and classrooms uh, in as many places as we can, <laughs> just to see like what's happening, get to hear from kids. Uh, we're going to be traveling to Central and South America in a couple of months to yeah. see how education is being approached in internationally as well. Um, and I recall a moment when I was in a school, a small school in a suburban town in Massachusetts, uh, and the students had built a virtual reality video game about public speaking. And I was like, wait, what? These were seventh graders. <laughs> Uh, And I was like, tell me more. How did this come about? And it originally started off with students. uh, They were all working in groups. They got to choose their own projects, their own topics. And uh, they wanted to build a horror video game. They were like, we actually game a lot. When we come home, we just play video games. And we want to make a really scary video game. Uh, (laughs) And over the course... Uh, and then, like, the role of the teacher there as the facilitator was like, well, what actually makes you scared? And by the end of it, they were like, we're actually terrified of public speaking. That we hate so getting up awesome. anywhere. <laughs> um, and they were like, so how do we make a video game 
that's about public speaking, that's scary. And so that led them to this decision of like, well, we actually should make it like a virtual reality. Mm-hmm. And you should start off, and, and this is like over the that's course of terrifying. four months. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially these like 12-year-old kids uh, ended up creating different scenarios where first you're only speaking to one person, then you're speaking to a group of five, then you're in a smaller room of 20, then you get onto a hypothetical stage. Uh, and throughout this, they like reached out to local uh, scientists and doctors with VR. They were figuring out how do you like measure body rate or excuse me, a heart rate and perspiration. And it took this entire deep dive where by the end of it, uh, they had learned how to code. They had actually created a virtual reality game. Uh, what covered so much psychology, covered so much biology, 12 years old. And then I'm asking the teacher at that, and I was like, how in the world were you prepared? He's like, I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) I actually just trusted my kids, and I trusted their choices, and I trusted their interests. And he was like, I was learning with them. He was Mm -hmm. like, I was going home, and I was like, what? How do you code? (laughs) 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 Who is the doctor in this town that we could reach out to who would, like, hop on a call with my students? Yeah. Uh, and so to us, it's a lot about like trust kids, trust their passions, and you will be amazed at where they go. And that teacher probably loved that. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> so much more than so often, uh, you know, teachers get asked to just read a script or they get asked to go through mm-hmm. a textbook. Uh, and teachers at the, the core of it. Uh, are, are facilitators of learning. And when given the freedom and opportunity to engage with kids in a way that's so much more meaningful, it's obviously a better experience for the kid, results in deeper learning. It's also a great experience for the teacher as well. They're being trusted in their profession mm-hmm. and able to, uh, you know, have the power to make the decisions that that teacher made, uh, you know, and there's many other examples like that, which is so critical. It really, really is. I mean, teachers, I remember when I was in the I was in the classroom, I would say, I'm going to just nod my head uh-huh. and smile. <laughs> While I get told all of these all things. All the things that I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And say, yes. Yeah. Totally. I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then go to my room. <clears throat> close the door. close my door. <laughs> yeah. And teach. Yeah. The way I think that my students want to be taught. Yeah. Um, and, I, and a lot of that time, I was looking to them saying, guys, you know, do you understand it this way? Yeah. Would it, would something else be better? Yeah. Um, but a lot of the time, I really did feel like I have to close my door to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to close my door to do that, number one, because I don't want to lead anyone else astray. Right. Because then are them wrong <laughs> <or yeah. laughs> Number two, because I I recognize that we are more than just the school and the community. We mm-hmm. are kind of we we represent the success of our city. And so if I can't, if this doesn't, I understand the pressure of what happens when you can't pull it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for your school? What does that mean for your school district? If everybody is just left to do willy nilly, you know, just sure. go out there and sure. do what you think, then. We're in real jeopardy. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you rein it in sometimes and say like no 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 we are not suggesting that it's a free for all sure. that it, you get to come and you get to just do whatever moves you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, uh, your your story uh, illustrates something that I think uh, for anybody listening they probably know a teacher that has a similar story, which is the like I nod, I say okay, and I go close my door. Um, we have a real problem when the best teachers are having to swim upstream to do what's best for their kids. Uh, and that is 
uh, you know, the system should support the people, not the people support the system. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the, the first part is it's just essential for the system to change so that great teachers don't have to go isolate themselves right. to do great work because that takes away the potential of human collaboration, which is so essential. Uh, definitely student-driven projects is not just kids show up and then like seven hours later, we'll check in, <laughs> see how things went, you know. Uh, there's a lot of facilitation that we're talking about, both in terms of supporting teachers and in terms of teachers supporting kids. Uh, and so in a, a typical project, uh, there's goals set that are set with kids and teachers that then are checked in on. There's a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversation, small groups working on specific topics. If as a class, we're looking at, say, for example, a project about bees. We may learn how to build raised bed gardens. We're outside learning together. We're learning about the tools. We're learning about how to construct things together. We've got an expert with it. So there's definitely intentionality behind the learning. The difference is the learning is authentic. The learning is real. It's rooted to real problems. And those problems are then rooted in the interest and passions of the teachers and kids. And then to add to that, I think sometimes it's also thinking about how are skills approached in the classroom? So let's take something like reading, for example, an absolute gatekeeper to knowledge in this world. Mm -hmm. uh, you still teach students phonics <clears throat> and you still talk about reading comprehension strategies mm -hmm. and how do you decode. Uh, and you are still, say, for example, like Fontes and Pinnell is one of the ways in which you can measure different reading levels and mm -hmm. students work through different levels and graduate essentially to the next level up. Uh, and so much of that is like instead of having books that are not related to students' lives or to real meaningful work that they're working on, how do you approach actually working through the different reading levels, building those skills with, say, something like culturally relevant books, mm -hmm. where you as a student see yourself and your community in the books? How do you then... Uh, also incorporate what you're reading and where you're learning how to read to the project that you're actually working on. Mm -hmm. And so that's where, to use your word like intentionality, that's where so much of it comes in, mm -hmm. where you still are learning skills. There is still a lot of different, just like Ryan said, one-on-one, -on -one, small group facilitation, a lot of practice, but it's actually connected to something bigger than this like siloed skill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's all very interesting to me, you guys. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Clearly. Um, and I I think that it's, I hope that it's opened up a lot of conversation starters for people to have in our community to just sit down and say, okay, look, let's just talk it out. But I don't want to argue about it. I don't want to pick sides. I just want to hear you out. I want to mm -hmm. hear out what is, what's the thought? Um, what are the What's the process that you're going through? Mm -hmm. um, what do people have to know in order to do what you're doing? Mm -hmm. So what do people have to know in order to do what you're doing? Yeah. I, 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 so I'm, our, our backgrounds are both, we're two teachers. <laughs> That's how uh, all this we're, we're two teachers that uh, through many conversations over many years, uh, took ideas and turned them into dreams and decided eventually to turn that dream into something real. Um, and so uh, we, we have a long background teaching kids uh, and also being leaders of adults and of schools and of thinking about how leadership structures impact schools. Uh, my first year as a principal, I learned a lot of what not to do. Yeah, and me too. Uh, yeah. Actually, all five of my years of principal, yeah, yeah, I learned very, very what not to do. Um, but, the, you know, the, the art of building a culture in a school, both for kids and adults, uh, is one of the most important things that we as leaders do. 
And so uh, having experience doing that, having learned how to do that and being able to understand the way in which we present ourselves and the way we communicate impacts others. Uh, you know, our, our philosophy is very rooted in something that's known as servant leadership, which basically means as a leader, instead of adding things for people to do, you look for ways to take barriers away. Totally. Um, incredibly important I skills. Always, in my mind, you just said exactly what I would say all the time. I feel like my job as a leader of a school is mm-hmm. to tell me what you're, what's the holdup. Yeah. And then my job is to go figure out how to exactly. move that out of your way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let me just get that out of your way yeah. so that you can do the work you were meant to do, that yep. you want to do. So whatever it is that's not that's keeping you from being what you want to be, right? Tell me what it is. Yeah, and let's go and figure, let's out, how figure out how to get, get those that obstacles away. Yeah, so if it's if your kids are hungry, let's feed your kids. Yeah, is it because they're not here? Okay, let's figure out a way exactly. to get them here. Is it because they won't walk in the rain? Then we need umbrellas. Exactly. Is it because you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. just, that. I really felt like that is what I'm supposed to be doing when I'm the school leader. Is listening to people tell me what the issue was and then going to figure out, okay, who do I need to talk to to get that issue taken care of? Yeah. Um, there were a lot of times though that the issue was more, more man, more than I could manage, Mm -hmm. um, in, in the role of a principal. But I also encountered that people sometimes were not as forthcoming with the problem. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Psychological safety and trust are essential. Safety and trust. Uh, they are huge, and the, and you don't necessarily want to indicate that either you don't know what you're doing, right, or you aren't sure it's going to work out because you don't want to be in trouble with anyone. And I think right. that again goes back to the hierarchical exactly. way that we view mm-hmm. school. Yeah, um, kids don't want to admit they can't do it; they'd rather just not do it. Right, right. I mean, exactly. Just, I just won't come if I mm-hmm. think I can't do it. Um, and teachers, I feel, are. You know, they're just big kids. Yeah. You still have people that don't want to say to their boss, Yeah. figure, I don't know what I'm doing or I yep. am struggling with this. So I, I do think that um, post-principal life for me <laughs> has been about trying to create a network where people can come together and it's not hierarchical in any way. Exactly. It is le- It's school leaders and school teachers um, from all genres of education mm-hmm. that can come together and say, okay, like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, mean, I have yet to meet a person that knows what they're doing in every <laughs> moment is, of life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, the, and so I really have been trying so, so hard to, to really bring people just to a, a table with wine uh-huh. and to say, like, what are y'all struggling with? Yeah. What is it about your school, your classroom, your students you are having a hard time with. Yeah. And then who can we can, can who can we connect you to? Yeah. Who do who do I know that could help you solve that problem? And yeah. then who does the person sitting next to you know that could help you figure that out? Mm-hmm. And so I really do appreciate you guys coming and, and talking um, about this because yeah. I think it is really important. It's very it's happening whether people are like it or not. Mm-hmm. I mean it, ha- it you know, it's not it's not totally revolutionary to have school choice. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's really not. I mean, yeah. we've always had school choice. There have yeah. always been parochial schools. We've had magnets for a very long time. So yeah. this is not, it's not entirely revolutionary. It's but just I now available to all it's families. It's now available mm-hmm. to all families. And so, yeah. um, and it's forcing big systems to kind of rethink. Yeah. Um, and it's having, it's also forcing some funding conversations to be had. Yeah. Because it mm-hmm. is, it is money. Mm-hmm. It, it is, there is still money. Yeah. Um, 
that has to be accounted for. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it's it costs something to do school. Yeah. And it always will. Exactly. And so this, I think the more charter schools that are entering the picture, the <clears throat> more it is forcing that conversation. Yeah. Like how, what are we going to do if everybody has a different choice yeah. in terms of funding? Um, so I think it's just a really important conversation to, to have. Yeah. Um, and I hope we get to keep talking about it for a very long time. And yeah. I hope people will keep listening to those conversations. Well, thank you so much for having <laughs> us you. here. Uh, having these conversations, as you said, is so important. And to recognize that there are great teachers and there's great work happening in our mm-hmm. districts and in our charters. And uh, the, the sort of broad labels are not as helpful. We actually have to sit down and really get into the nuance. What do we want to know about? What do we care about? Who's doing it well? Who isn't? And how can we bring space for people to come together to solve the problems that we want to try and get better totally. at? And uh, as one of the last pieces from our end is so our vision at the gathering place is to be a diverse gathering place of diverse people and ideas with limitless collective potential. Uh And I think that's where the power of humanity is, is that collective potential. Mm -hmm. And so the more often that we're breaking down walls or perceived separations to have these deep, complex, messy (laughs) (laughs) conversations, uh, I think that's where so much of the power in a community lies. Uh, And so in addition to all the work that you're doing, which is incredible, we're also happy to talk to folks. It's just uh, the more the spark of conversation spreads, Mm -hmm. the better we as an entire society will be able to serve our kids absolutely so thank you guys and you guys have a website we do the we gathering do place k12.org the gathering place is working on its charter mm-hmm. so it's it not is. it's not in full Correct. existence yet we turn our application into the state in two weeks and <laughs> we uh, we'll go through six months of defenses so we'll get to defend to readers across the state to the state and to the state board uh, and if fortunate enough to be approved, then we would have a year after that upcoming summer before we would open. So we would open in the fall of 2020, uh, kindergarten through second grade or starting grade levels. And then we'll add an additional grade level each year until we're K-12. Yeah, and for any folks that would love to stay updated, uh, if you go to our website, thegatheringplaced12.org, you can sign up for a newsletter. Our contact information is also on there. We are happy to talk to every single person that wants to talk about education. We have an amazing number of people that email us or call us and just say, hey, I heard you say you were happy to talk. Like, really? Can we just go get coffee? And we do it every single time. We have never said no to somebody. And we've had teachers and parents that have started conversations off saying, I don't know about charter schools. And we have ended laughing and sharing coffee and talking about each other's hopes for education yep. uh, so we encourage anyone and everyone to do the same yes mm-hmm. and you can find you can also find them um, at our SALT events yes leaders and teachers yeah. um, and those conversations that we have there if you haven't been to one of our meetings you gotta find time because you they do. are a, <laughs> they are fun conversations yeah um, we just have a lot of fun yeah. and wine <laughs> so you cannot beat that so thank you guys so much and we will talk to you very very soon Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miseducation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.